Hi, I'm Mandy Learn. And I'm Stephanie Keeley. Thank you for joining us for Women Who Work. I stopped and took inventory, took stock of everything I accomplished. And I thought, I have every right to be in this room. I have every right to have a seat at this table. Is that arrogance? Is that so on and so forth? No, I reframe it to say, I'm robbing people of my perspective. That's the beauty of diversity. My company is going to be better off if I communicated. So it's having that confidence to, to show up and to speak up for yourself and advocate for the ideas that you have. Welcome to the Women Who Work podcast, where we discuss the essentials for leading in your life and career. Because as women who work, we just can't separate the two. Yeah, thanks for being here with us. Whether you own your own business, or making a big career move, or maybe figuring out that work-life balance, you definitely have a place in this conversation. In this episode, we're talking about well-being at work, how the workplace can create thriving cultures that address and alleviate the trend of struggle and burnout people are facing today. We've also got an amazing interview with Elisa Torres, Director of Global Strategic Marketing at Johnson & Johnson. She will talk about the strengths of millennials and what they bring to the workforce today. Let's dive in. All right. So we're talking about well-being today, Mandy, and mm-hmm. I think this is such a, it's becoming this big trend in the workplace because there's a real need for us as organizations and as companies to focus on well-being. And the need comes from the mental health crisis and the burnout that employees are facing every day. Yes. And I really think that the pandemic shed light on the whole burnout issue And people were pushing back saying, look, okay, I'm willing to step up and do what's needed now, but I'm, I'm, but I'm also going to need more support here. And I think that's just really kind of the issue that really brought this to the forefront and made this a critical piece um, that organizations today really have to address for their workforce. Yeah. I mean, burnout is no longer this breaking news situation. We know we feel it and we know that burnout is real and it's happening all around us. Like you said, the pandemic brought it to the forefront, but it's not something that was new. It's just something that's been exacerbated. Um, The World Health Organization now defines burnout as like an occupational hazard. It's, It's become a phenomenon that's driven by chronic imbalance between your job demands, like a heavy workload, Um, and your job resources. And you might see the symptoms of burnout as extreme tiredness, difficulty concentrating, and difficulty with cognitive and emotional processes. So like, how are you able to function as a human being based on the demands and pressures from your job? Um, 43% of leaders, women leaders are burned out and only compared to 31% of men. And I think that's probably because women have... Uh, not only the pressure at work, but they have the pressure at home too. Definitely. I mean, and, and we sense that we feel it for sure. Um, I found this statistic interesting as well, that 63% of those with burnout are more likely to take a sick day and 23% are more likely to go to the ER. So you see there that there's these cost effects. Yes. Not only just cost effects, but it it's taking a toll on our health, our physical health and our mental health. That's why we talk about it because I, I think companies, organizations have a real responsibility to create thriving cultures, to reduce burnout and empl- and promote employee well-being. Because if we look at the workplace, there's this great opportunity for scalable impact. Um, if we can change the culture and focus on well-being at work, that has implications for the rest of someone's life, for the, for the rest of their um, day-to-day life. Yeah. And when we talk about these things like burnout and, and we talk about what the importance of, of organizations helping and supporting their employees, a lot of it too has to do with what the current climate is. And right now we're seeing the great resignation could potentially be cooling off. 
However, companies, regardless, companies will always be in a war for talent. They're always going to want the best and exceptional talent. And women are still demanding and expecting more from work than they had been, which yes, I think, again, that's a, a result from the pandemic. Um, but even even with the pandemic no longer being the primary stressor, there's always going to be the stressor to stressor to perform. So this is this is not an issue that's going to go away because the initial pandemic stressor is is gone or at least alleviated. Um, and women will leave to get what they want. And um, women do want to work for companies that prioritize well-being, flexibility. DEI initiatives, all the things that are important to them. So that's, you know, circling back around here. I think that's why companies, it isn't, there are many reasons why addressing the mental health crisis, burnout, and creating a culture where people can thrive is, is something that, that organizations really need to make a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's research behind it. You know, I've, I've been looking at um, some Gallup research and they talk about the five key elements of well-being, just general human well-being. Are, oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's career, social, mm-hmm. financial, physical, and community. And they're in that order. They, they're really focusing oh. on- um, yeah, they're really focusing on areas where you, that you can aspects of your life that you can do something about. So you have control over career well-being. It's that you like what you do every day because the reality of our careers is that we do it every day. We are right. spending more time <laughs> at work and in our jobs and advancing our careers than we are doing almost anything else. So that is why it is first on that list, Hmm. because it is foundational for us to live our very best possible life. And, and they give the term net thriving, you know, to have a thriving, yes, thriving life. Um, You must have a good job with engaging work. We are all, it's Mm -hmm. universal that we want good work. And which I think is so interesting because there's been so much now research and study behind this, that it it is shown that people want to do good work and they want to be engaged with their work. They just don't want to just show up and be like, okay, well, I was here today. I did what I was supposed to, and now I'm going to go home and leave work at work and, and I'm going to live in my work box and going to work and live in my at home box. I, I think that that is a piece of, of research that's really exciting because people want to do good work. And they want to like what they're doing. Yes. There's that work-life integration. Mm -hmm. And and we see that with this list of elements of well-being, that they are all interdependent. Um, Each has an additive effect um, on each other. And if you're increasing one or another, then you are having an effect on your overall performance and health. So they're mm-hmm. finding that disease, burnout, anxiety, all of those are lower, the more you're thriving in each of those five areas. But of course, you know, we're focusing here on career well-being because it is foundational. And they even found that people with high career well-being are twice as likely to be thriving in their lives overall. Yeah, that's that's not surprising. That totally makes sense. And I love the idea that they pulled out this, not just well-being, but it's five areas of well-being and your and there's career well-being. I, I I really like how they pulled each of those out because it also shows how all these different pieces, like you said, are interdependent and interplay with one another too. So when one struggles. Others do or others do. Right. But it's the career one that is supporting all of the other four. Yes. Which really shows one because it's career well-being. There is we can only have so much control and influence that until our organization can come into the picture and help us support our career as well, whatever that may look like and support our career well-being. Right. Which is why it's so important that companies are paying attention to well-being. Um, Historically, 
we, we saw, we've seen a rise in company wellness programs, you know, maybe your company has, yeah. um, a fitness the tracker. The, yeah. The fitness tracker, right. Yeah. A club, <laughs> they, they send out emails saying how you should eat right, or they might give you a discount to a gym and, and those are great wellness programs and they're great in, incentives. Sure. But career well-being is different than a company wellness program. Agreed. And I think it's interesting now just kind of putting all these, you know, listening to us talk about it in conversation that these company wellness programs started on the physical, mm-hmm. right? Oh, your yeah. physical and your physical health, completely not even thinking about the mental aspect. And now that, you know, mental health has really been pushed to the forefront of these types of conversations. It's really interesting to see where these kind of and first well-being initiatives took place and where they're going to. Well, yes. I mean, I, I, I read a little something about um, that mental health support that more and more companies are um, offering benefits such as free online counseling sessions or, or training their leaders on, um, empathy, things like Mm -hmm. that. And meditation apps, maybe for large companies funding, sponsoring meditation apps, things like that, where there is that shift now to include not just physical health, which is important, but also mental health, which is needs to be, you know, destigmatized, especially in the workplace. Yep. And I think that you just hit it right there when you when you say destigmatized. And again, I think the pandemic really kind of put that on the fast track by talking about mental health um, and making it um, acceptable to talk about. It's not, and it's not a weakness. Mm-hmm. Everybody struggles with it, and on various levels, and we have to talk about it in order to change. Mm-hmm. You know, Mandy, when you were talking a bit about that um, work-life integration and how, you know, we we can't keep every piece of our lives separate anymore, um, I, I think what comes to mind for me is that the shift for good leaders and for organizations with strong cultures is that we start thinking about our employees as whole people. That they are not just the employees who show up to do the work and to make the sale and to bring in the revenue, but that they are a whole person with health, wellness, family, struggle, all, all the, all the pieces of a real and whole person. And that we start working in our leadership roles to enable and allow for people to be whole people. Yep, absolutely. And see, understand what their values are, what motivates them um, so you can be a better leader, a better coach and a better manager. And when you do that, you're going to have a more productive team. Definitely, definitely. You know, I, you also will get, you'll get a more productive team, but you'll also get um, more resilient employees. And we know that resilience is one of these superpowers, you know, the ability to bounce back um, is such a strength for individuals, but it's something that can get quite tiring when you've had to bounce back right. and bounce back and bounce back. And that's what burnout is, you know, the, yes. this like, oh, okay, you know, well, it's been another struggle or there's this, been this other unexpected X or we're lacking in this resource, but we need to triple down on, on this project. So everyone's been very resilient, right? And right now we're kind of a little bit tired of being resilient, but these yeah. well-being initiatives can support that, um, super strength of resilience. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when I mentioned earlier, they employees, Yes, they understand the value of being resilient and they have been, like you said, been so resilient for so long. Now they need some support Mm -hmm. in that, more support so they can maintain that even at a greater and um, longer level because they want to do good work. They want to be able to show up every day fully, but organizations have their own part in order to make sure that they can support their employees in order to do that. So on this podcast, we always like to ensure that we are giving you plenty of tangible things to take away and some, some skills, some things to try out, um, 
on each of our topics. So, you know, if we shift here, we're going to look at these strategies for leaders to focus on career well-being. Um, and a lot of it is around stuff we've already talked about before, which is great. It just supports that, you know, all of these leadership themes are coming together to support career well-being for our, um, for our team members. One of those strategies is flexibility. <laughs> the big F word. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. There are a whole lot of managers out there going, yeah, that's the F word, you know, flexibility. Everyone wants flexibility, but I, how that's am I right. going to meet my bottom line? <laughs> Right, right, right. And making flexibility what work for whatever their employees need it to be. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, is true. It's, it is definitely needed when we think about being a whole person and knowing that there are other, um, pulls out in our world where we might need to go pick up someone, a, a sick kid, or we might need to go care for, um, an aging parent and we need flexibility and where we're going to get our work done um, because we have to do something else on that day, let's say. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and, and it's hard because flexible means something different to each individual. So mm -hmm. how in the world as me as a manager, even from um, an HR function, write policies about flexibility that's going to meet everybody's needs? And that's really hard. And I think that's where you, this is where you need to have an individual conversation with your manager about, okay, this is what I need in terms of flexibility and go from there and make sure that um, the framework is very clear and everybody is on the same page of what this means for me and making sure still that, yes, I get my work done and I'm still productive. But I think that's what everybody's trying to figure out right now. You know, the whole hybrid work situation, um, a lot of companies now are just mandating everybody back to the office. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's just, it's kind of in a disarray right now. But I think from, like you said, to give, some guidance to our listeners have a come if you need more flexibility and if that's something that's going to help you then just have have that conversation with your with your manager and show how whatever your reality is your flexible reality how that's going to help how it, that's going to be a win-win situation for everybody so true you know you mentioned culture and and culture is um corporate cultures are is one of my favorite topics. And it is also something when we think about strategies for leaders and creating well-being is a focus on culture. And when I talk about culture, the primary thing there is belonging. How are we creating yes. environments of belonging, which can ultimately lead to thriving teams? So um, psychological safety, allowing yep. people to speak freely without any fear of backlash, um, active listening, truly listening more than demanding and, and talking, um, allowing for inclusivity, things like that really do, um, attribute to creating a culture of belonging, which also then equates to career well-being. Yep, absolutely. And I think belonging is the foundational piece to well-being at work. I think it stems from everything stems from belonging. And there is such I, like a domino. I think there's agree. such a it's a I domino totally effect. It's a domino effect. When you feel that you belong and that you are respected and that you have a place in your workplace and your team everything else is going to be positively affected and impacted. Yeah. It's like all the other things can work themselves out or can be mm -hmm. worked out in the strong relationships that have developed because there is a culture of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, as we're talking about culture, it always has to be top down. Your this leaders must, yeah, your leaders must have buy-in into it and they also must demonstrate it. So I'll give you kind of like a um, IRL moment here. I've noticed on um, LinkedIn, you'll see posts and typically they're more from um, 
men leaders because they're displaying they they will for an example um a ceo i saw the other day um made a post about um taking the day off to spend time with his daughter who i think was in a play or some production or something but he was using that as a platform to say hey look i support this i agree and it is okay he normalizes it it's okay if you need to be flexible and take a day off because you want to spend it time with your family or there's another important engagement that you want to be there for. And I think that's powerful in, in illustrating that idea that it must come from your senior level. Right. I've heard CEOs say, do as I say, not as I do around, you know, take the day off or um, do what you need to do to to be supported. But if they're not doing it themselves, no one under them feels like it is safe for them to actually take them up on that to, as I say, not as I do, you know, you think, oh, well, there's no way I can climb the ladder. There's no way I can get to that level. If I, unless I just am painstakingly at my desk. Right. How many times have we all the time? Or how many times we've heard whispering when there's a mom in the office that leaves a little early because she has to go do something for her kids, right? Right. We've all, everybody makes those side comments, whatever, because that's not, because that just shows that that culture actually doesn't support her leaving a little early because she may, because she needs to, or somebody that has to leave to take their elderly parents to a doctor's appointment because they're now their caregiver. Or someone who's struggling with, uh, you know, at at the moment, a, a an illness that mm-hmm. and they're having to leave a lot. And the, the thing is when there are cultures of belonging and psychological safety, then mm-hmm. you don't have that kind of mumbling around the off those murmurs in the office or among teams virtually when someone's needing to take care of themselves a little bit more than they did last month or last year, right. or a little bit it's, more than you have to this yeah. year. And, and, and yeah, instead of the whispering and mumblings, it should be a, oh my a vocalization of, oh my gosh, that's so awesome that they, they're able to go leave to go do whatever they need to mm-hmm. do. And I support you. And I support, you're that's supported right. in that. Yeah. Yep. You can still grow in your career. You can still be a valuable part of the team and do what you need to do for yourself as a whole person, you yeah. know? So I, but it doesn't, it truly doesn't work unless your top, your top leadership is, is also one supporting it, buying into it and holding people accountable. You know, Mm -hmm. accountability is a really big piece of, of our strategies as well, because when there has to be some, there has to be accountability around behaviors that lead to well-being. If you have toxic managers in the workplace, but they're allowed to continue this behavior, then again, you're not creating a, an, um, an environment of well-being for or safety or physical or psychological safety. safety. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. So you have to yep. have a zero tolerance, um, and, and work, working that into, um, your hiring criteria, working it into your performance evaluations. How are we holding people accountable to um, creating psychological safety, elements of belonging, and mm-hmm. um, conversations of well-being? Right, and that's and and that's not something. I think that is not really like you said. It's uh, those are. I don't want to call. S- soft skills, but Mm -hmm. those are the things that really took us through the pandemic. And, um, for example, and, and women have such a capacity for these types of skills and it's shown during the pandemic through the couple of years, um, of living through that, that women provided more support to their teams and were able to help navigate their employees' work-life challenges that they were having. Uh, they were working to ensure that their workload was manageable. And they also were the ones that were checking in on their employees and their team members' just well-being, kind of like, you know, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. What do you need? What can, what can I do for you? 
And that's a piece that, like you said, you have to be, you have to be held accountable, but in order to be something held accountable, you got to measure it. And how are you going to measure that? Right. (laughs) That's so true. And I think that's why still uh, companies really grapple with, well, how do I measure these Mm -hmm. very, what we are seeing now is that some of the most important qualities in our leaders are really tough to measure, Mm -hmm. you know, belonging, (laughs) psychological safety, creating environment Mm -hmm. teams um, and environments for people to thrive. Um, That's a lot harder to measure than hitting our sales numbers. Right. Maybe we just tapped into a, um, a topic for another podcast. How to measure, get in a measurement expert. Yeah. 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 We're on it. All right. Well, so another area, um, another strategy for leaders in creating well-being is, um, transforming managers to coaches. We've Mm -hmm. talked here on the podcast a lot about, about coaching as a leader and, um, think, I think it was episode, the coach approach. If you want to go Mm -hmm. back and listen to that one. Um, but there is, if, if organizations can focus on elevating someone from being a manager who's working on the, the times and the, the day-to-day minuscule tasks to coaching team members, coaching others, and to becoming the, the type of employee navigating their careers, um, coaching them on their own well-being, all of those areas, that's where you can see the greatest impact and change in organizations and individuals' lives, of course, but you see it organization-wide as well. There's a great impact for taking managers into the coaching space. Uh, absolutely. It's actually one of the six leadership styles, the coaching style. And in order to do this correctly, a person's got to be able to value developing others because that's what it is about at the end of the day that you're developing people for the future and you have to be empathetic and you have to have a lot of self-awareness as well. And, um, but it has very positive impacts on your, on on an organizational level and on a team level too, because it's the idea that, you know, if anybody's playing, play team sports, um, and has had a great coach and has had a great team environment, you know, what that physically feels like to be part of a team that is well aligned, supports one another and wants to win. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's the, when you have a good coach, whether it's from mm-hmm. a sport, I mean, we definitely see it in our sports, um, histories, but also, um, in a workplace scenario, when you have a really good coach, it's amazing what you can mm-hmm. do and not just what you can do, but what it feels like what it to feels do that like. work. Yes. 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 And that's the, you as an employee, piece, right? Have, yeah. Yes. You feel good. It feels good. And if I'm feeling good doing this work that is meaningful and I'm engaged in it, then when I go home and someone says, how was your day? Mm -hmm. I can say it was great. And I can bring a positive energy to my home life and I can make better choices for my physical health and my, I can connect more with other people. And that's why we really see that these areas of well-being are so interconnected because one just re- one really relates to the other and especially the one where we're spending so much time doing it yeah recognition it, there is a real cost to neglecting well-being in in the workplace mm-hmm. and the cost but yes, said the cost yes, the cost yeah. outweighs the cost of recognizing or right. of the oh. efforts of doing these well-being initiatives, you know, the, the cost, the hard costs of implementing some well-being initiatives is nothing compared to the cost of, of ignoring them. For sure. Um, $20 million of opportunity loss for every 10,000 workers who are disengaged. 
Um, this blows my mind. It's so large that you can't even grasp it. $322 billion cost globally in turnover and lost productivity when low being shows up as employee burnout. Mm. I mean, it's just, when you hear those numbers, it just shows that one, this is a real problem. And this is a really big issue, not just a nice to have in the workplace because we want our employees to feel good. No, there are real costs on a personal level that mm-hmm. translates to real costs on a, for an organization. Mm-hmm. So we hope you found some strategies that you can um, implement, whether it's for yourself or for your teams, uh, for leaders. And then for the rest of this episode, we're going to shift a bit, though it does tie in quite a lot to our topic of well-being, um, but we're going to shift and look at at the workplace from a generational perspective. So what does the workforce look like today? Well, I, we're such in a unique position today because this is something we've never experienced before where we have five generations in the workforce right now. So that would be the traditionalist or what some people call the silent generation, your baby boomers, Gen X, shout out, um, millennials and our Gen Z. Interestingly, 35% of the workforce is made up of millennials, and they are our largest segment. Even, again, this blew my mind, even more impactful that in 2025, just a mere two years from now, millennials will make up 75% of the global workforce. Now, why is this important or why is this substantial because they're going to they will be the ones that are driving what values and what they need in the workplace and so that's why these issues of mental health of resiliency um of well-being I think that's why we are really seeing these as emerging trends, because that's what the largest segment of the population is asking and demanding for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, this is important because it it has to do with engagement at work. Only millennials in a recent study, only 29% of the millennials are engaged at work. That's pretty Ooh, low. That's low. That's low. <laughs> that's low. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. But like you said, that's why we're going to, that's why we're seeing some rising trends on um, well-being and, and, and we'll continue to, uh, it will continue to be something that we all must be focusing on. So I spoke with our guest today on this topic of millennials and kind of her perspective as a millennial and as a philanthropist and speaker about what she sees being kind of the super superpowers of millennials, and and also maybe some of the blind spots. Elisa Torres is a marketing professional and a leader in the healthcare industry. As a director for global strategic marketing at Johnson & Johnson, she has excelled in her career while also making an impact as a philanthropist and speaker. She has addressed audiences from TEDx stages to corporate settings to mission fields about the potential power we all have as leaders and change agents. All right, Elisa, thank you for being here today. We really appreciate all the wisdom you have to share and the inspiration to guide us into um, doing our best work in the workplace. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you for for asking me to join you today. Share with us a bit about your career path and the position you currently hold. Sure. I've been with Johnson & Johnson now for almost um, 15 years. I started out actually in sales and somewhat of a leadership development program. And then I was a medical device sales rep. So you work with surgeons and nursing staff on representing our technology. Um, And then I moved through various roles in marketing, both in the US, I had the opportunity to move to Asia, uh, which we'll probably maybe get into here. It was a really transformative experience. 
I'm in global marketing um, now, and I lead a, a full business unit, um, basically. So you have been with Johnson & Johnson for the majority of your career. Yes, like. I had two internships before J&J, and then, yeah, I came here, and it is an amazing organization. Um, I think it's a big part of how I have flourished as a person and in my career is because they give me the space to really bring my whole self to work. And I know some of what we'll talk about will be um, sort of those passions and how do you show up at the office and workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the culture of the company and how embracing or not they are. I'm a true blue uh, or red, our color's red, but yeah. (laughs) Thinking about kind of the generations of the workforce. And today we are, the workforce is primarily made up of uh, Gen X and millennials. What do millennials bring to the workplace as leaders? Yeah, I think we bring a lot. We we are empathetic, I find. I think we try to bring more balance to a role in terms of how can you holistically be successful, not only, right, the career path, but your personal life, right, may, may be taking a big toll. Um, so I think I see more mindfulness, more wanting to be present, more inclusiveness um, and caring, which are values, the right core values to a lot of millennials. So it's really cool to show that show up at work. I remember <laughs> the generation clashes. So when I was doing my, uh, I had the opportunity opportunity to give a TEDx talk and then post that I was sharing about going to therapy and so on and so forth then I had a colleague who was a Gen X and they were like you're talking about therapy like you know it was like shock horror clutch my pearls you know (laughs) they couldn't (laughs) believe because I (laughs) it always had so much shame associated with it we also have a lot to teach right our the older generations and that that's actually okay and like it or not that shows up in your leadership if you have unresolved trauma, if you have things weighing on you at home, it's and and I'm not saying air all your laundry at the office, but where it makes sense, like to do it in a balanced approach and help people know that's okay, um, I think is a beautiful thing about millennials. Yeah, that kind of transparency of I am my whole self at here at work, and um, there is more to me than just Elisa the marketer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then on the flip uh, side, what do you see as the pain points millennials are facing from a career perspective? Yeah, I think we live in this duality of our generation has awakened so much to really how capitalistic our society is. And uh, um, and I think obviously it's a good thing. It's driven a lot of success in the United States and many economies. Um, but you're also realizing the difficulty of that, the, the wear and tear sort of that can have on your mental health and on doing good for the environment and society. So I think the reality of that is very heavy to carry. It's a heavy weight, I think, that we carry. And we're also, I think, as a result, impatient and too idealistic in our desires of where we want things to be and how we want them to change right now. Um but the great thing is um, we get to change that, right? We get to say, what should this next phase of work look like? We're the leaders. You know, I, one of my pastors used to say, if you're not helping, you're not helping. Mm. <laughs> so this, you want someone to blame, it's also potentially you if you're a leader. Also, it's all of us because from my point of view, you don't need a title to lead. You can shift and impact culture wherever you are in an organization. Yeah. Going back to what you first said there and, and talking about kind of the, the churn and burn of the, the workplace, I think is, are, are you referring to burnout when you talk about that pain point for millennials? Yeah. And I think that's not only millennials that face it, but I think we're more resistant to it because we're like, this is not healthy. <laughs> um, ah, so ah, like kind of bringing of, that to the forefront that, that this won't work. Right. Where I think our, maybe a Gen X or baby boomer, like colleague works inc- incredibly hard, maybe even harder. And we're okay with that as a trade-off mm-hmm. where millennials are like, I want to travel. I don't want to buy a house. I am going to wait to have kids. I'm going, right. Not all millennials, but statistically speaking, right. That Mm -hmm. the goals have changed. Mm. So you're more aware and it's more of a problem, I think for you as a millennial. You know, I get that there's so many perspectives there, but I do think that in this generation and in this current workforce, which is made up of um, 
you know, a good number of generations. I just think we're starting to have the conversation around, well, you know what, other things are possible here. What else is possible in terms of workflow and, and enjoying life. And certainly the pandemic has brought about those conversations more fully and to more people. Yes. Which is why I think, again, clarity around what is important for you. So I just moved back. Well, now it's almost a year and a half um, that I moved back from Singapore. And when I was there, I had this big awakening because there, even though I was there during COVID, I did have, once the country reopened, I had a really great social life. I had so many friends. I was always going out to eat and try different places and go to the beach and rent a boat and all the things. Then I thought, what was I doing the 13 years before this? Like I had no life. I was always working. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm not, and I'm like, I'm not willing to make that trade-off anymore. So I do really put boundaries around, I'm going out on the weeknights with my friends. I'm going to have, you know, we're going for dinner. Like just this Thursday, I went out with a girlfriend, like we had such a great time. And normally I would spend that home maybe working or wasting time. (laughs) Um, But for me, it's like, no, I want to have a social life. I want to be able to travel and I need to be able to exercise. So I really also put my foot down around my fitness routine. And I am modeling that for my team. So yesterday I was like, oh, I didn't get to go to the gym like my three or four times that I wanted to go. And I just blocked and I went on my lunch and I never do that. But I'm like, I said I was going to go to the gym and I cannot let this job kill me. I have to work out. Mm-hmm. And where before I'd been like, what's the big deal? I'm like, I'm really adamant that I'm getting in three to four workouts a week now. Yeah. And so then modeling that for your team to say, you can do that too. Yes. And you need to not work when you're on vacation. And don't take your laptop and I'll see you when you get back. And that's what I do when I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's um, from a leadership perspective, uh, very, very important because so often um, it's like mandates about, hey, concerned about, be concerned with the wellness of your teams and um, make sure that the teams are taking breaks and taking care of their mental health. And so managers will take that and say, hey, team, do these things, make sure you're taking care of yourself, but then they're not modeling that. I think it's unhealthy to work that much. And I, if I could be a little provocative, I think people hide behind the busyness and do feel so much like this will fall apart without me. And the, and that could be driven from a good place. I think it also can be driven from insecurity or ego. Yeah, ego, avoiding the reality of your personal life. You know, all of those things are things to question in terms of why and there are certainly seasons like if you're in finance quarter close of course you have no balance you right or if you're leading in my case like um in a sales environment you have to close the year of mm-hmm. course but it I, unless you're in crazy banking legal right there's certain industries where maybe it's not as possible otherwise you should be able to find you know some margin yeah find some area find some times where you can take some ease and bring some ease to your, to your workflow. And, you know, we say all this, but I, I do want to highlight that what I know about you is that you are an extremely hard worker. So you're not saying or demonstrating that it's just sunshine and roses and yeah. <laughs> we, we need to work less. It's not that it's, it's that there needs to be less manic work and 24 seven work. Yes. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. I don't want to give that false illusion. Um, Correct. You need time to think, right? To be a strategic thinker, especially if you're leading people. And so I am very guarded about my time in terms of I need to have the ability to think about where we're taking and leading this business. And therefore I cannot do that if I'm in back-to-back meetings. Um, But I work extremely hard many times, 7 a.m. starts um, when we're, you know, on calls with Asia. Sometimes you're not done till 10 or 11 p.m. Again, if you're talking to Asia Um, and I have extremely high standards for myself and for my team. It's the only reason I've had, you know, a big contributor, I should say, I've had this much success is because of the hard work. So for me, it's been around, okay, how do I (laughs) enjoy life as well? And that's the season I'm in now. What's the right balance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned a strength of millennials is that there's a lot of care around um, the state of the world and um, 
just kind of this wanting to, to fix things. And, and I, I see that as a common trait of women as well. Just generally women are, are fixers. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, it's, it's impossible for us to think that we can fix everything. Sure. Um, but what do you see as a way to effectively bring about positive change using some of these strengths that both women and millennials have in the workplace? Yes, I think that's, again, the acknowledgement that this is a bit unique to our generation. So we kind of have to figure out and chart the path or a course on how do you do this in a sustainable way? Um, and acknowledging like the amount of access that we have to media and to information. So every day I open my Instagram, I'm learning about something. Iran now, Ukraine. Racism in the U.S., there's no water, clean water in Mississippi. There's this happening in Flint, and there's, this, right, it's overwhelming, and you mm-hmm. cannot really affect all of those causes. So I always like to think on the positive side, there's not any lack, if you look at the world, like globally in terms of resources. There's dis- interesting distributions of resources where there's a ton of lack in a certain part of the world, and there's excess elsewhere, right, and there's resources here and not there. Um, and so from my point of view, it's almost like, how do we help better appropriate resources? How do we help better attack like um, specific challenges that we feel called to do? So what I say by that is I also don't think there's a shortage of people to help. And we each have, I believe, a God-given um, thing kind of that, that like pulls on your heartstrings. So for me, it's women and young girls. I have another friend, it's the elderly. For other people, it's the environment. If we all kind of followed like that particular passion, then we'd probably solve a lot more problems. But we have, um, I heard a quote, I'm going to butcher it from Martin Luther King Jr. at church the other day. And they talked about, we have an abundance of creeds and anemia of deeds and Mm. we're not action. So you have a lot of stances. That's, I think the, the tough part I struggle with with millennials is like, we're like, we have to be more sustainable, but we shop ASOS and Forever 20. No one does Forever 21 anymore, right? But ASOS and <laughs> every Shine, Sheen, whoever. And then it's like, well, you're not living what you're saying. Me me too. Like, I'm guilty as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I Not so much with the fast fashion, but right in, in all my own ways, I travel. But yet I say I care about the, the environment. Like, we have to be real about, we say all these things, but do we then live them out? Mm. And it's very hard to be perfect and to actually address every single area. But what what is your passion? Therefore, you should focus. It's the same thing I apply in my career. Like, okay, I can solve 20 problems. I'm not going to solve them well if I do that. Where am I going to make the biggest impact? So that at the end of this year, I can say I drove this result. That is how I manage my career. I have this much things that I have to keep as my base business. I have to keep the lights on, but I can't transform that. This area, I'm going to really focus and transform. And you see a massive improvement there. I think it's the same thing with the things that you care about. If you spread your efforts across 50 million things, none of them are going to improve. What's your thing? For me, it's, again, women and girls. And that's the thread that I see through the people I coach with my blog. Um and the, how I spend my time, where I donate money, that's that same theme. And then there's other areas that I'm really passionate about, um, like how to help with uh, anti-racism, as an example. I can influence that. I can work on that maybe to a lesser extent in terms of right the time, the time that I can put into it. Um, but I can't then also be the environmental person and the sustainability person, <laughs> all those things. So I think if People got clear on also what matches best with their strengths and the time and the resources they have to commit, then we would see more progress. But right now we have a lot of talking and not a lot of action. And I lament that for our generation. Yeah. You know, I like what you say about that. We all have something, you know, this unique piece. It's certainly a belief of mine that everyone's got this unique gift and a unique passion. And if you combine those two, you can you can bring a lot of good to the world. Um, and I know you are very passionate about social causes and have exp- you have experience bringing that social cause work to your corporate career. And so I'd love for you to share a bit about how you brought, you know, maybe the path to it, but how you brought activism to your current seat at the table. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, and this is a bit of career advice, I'll put them in a nutshell, because it's what has differentiated me as a leader um, as well. Even though I didn't know that's what was happening, I couldn't re have reverse engineered that. Um, but as I look back, um, I think it made a big difference. When I was an intern, I remember a leader said to me, you know, you want people to be interested and you also want to be interesting. He said, I think you're going to have a trouble trouble being interesting. And I'm like, he just called me boring because he was trying to say <laughs> you want to be an interesting person and you want to be interested in other people and you need to have the right balance. Right. Especially because I was going to a sales career at the time. I'm like, did he just call me boring? And it was it was true because I was so nervous. I was like a wallflower mm -hmm. and I speak so that no one could have an opinion about me or they really couldn't connect with me because I was just so scared I was going to make a mistake. So what I learned and I learned this in sales, people like to work with. They like to buy from people that they like. How will anyone know that they like you or who you are as a person if you don't share about those things? So I was just really jazzed about what I was doing in my personal life. So I started at with my, one of my big passions is anti-human trafficking. So I started volunteering at a homeless shelter and I had a team of um, um, that I was leading that was right out of undergrad and they wanted to help. And so I'm like, hey, I'm doing a conference for the girls at the shelter. Do you want to help me like with the agenda or do you want to help me with decorations and this was extracurricular things right but I was sort of infusing the two because I needed help and they had time <laughs> and interest and when I came back from my mission trip I went to Eastern Europe I came back and I was just like oh my god everyone has to know this is crazy like we can solve this so on and so forth I just did a lunch and learn at work and so this is about you went to Eastern Europe for your work on human it's trafficking and I came back, right, I brought that back to the office. And then they were like, oh, you should speak to the women's group. You should speak to the millennials group then. You should speak to so on and so forth. And then I got nominated to do the TEDx. And then that led to me being put on the Human Rights Council at J&J. &J. Um, right? It just kept snowballing. And what I learned from that, and I see other people do this as well, people want to, they're attracted to the light. And you're showing they're like, because people all they see is bad news right I mean what percentage of the news is good news nothing it doesn't sell it doesn't sell ads it doesn't bring eyeballs so it's so rare that you hear good news that people are very attracted to it and you can you inspire other people to say what's possible after my TEDx talk I raised twenty thousand dollars like this because people were like we want to give like oh my and they were just they people want to help they genuinely I, I think people are good beings mm-hmm if you can then be that beacon of hope and light in your workforce, in your workplace, like how amazing. And if you don't work for, you know, some people say, well, that's great. You work for J&J's, this huge big company with all these resources. If you're at a little company, all the more, I'm sure if you started a book club or you started a recycling program, whatever it is. I think in most environments, unless you're in a toxic one and then you need to leave, <laughs> that would be welcome. I've seen my other friends do this as well in, the, in totally different environments. So, um, you know, that's a really great segue because I'd love for you to share some ideas. Certainly you have done this in your own unique way and on a big stage. What are some other ways that you see that people could do good for the world and do good for humanity, which is, you know, a value of ours? How can they do that in their professional careers? And I ask that because even with the great resignation and all of that, there is this feeling that if I'm going to follow my passion, do good, make a difference that I might have to leave my corporate job in order to do that. And you've shown us that you can really make an impact right where you are. And so I'd love for you to, to give some more examples of ways that people could maybe do that in their own work. Oh my gosh. Yes. Do not quit your job. Um, everybody, I know we all have this symptom when we come back from mission trips. You, uh, I'm sure if you've had that experience, you want to burn everything down and give it all away and go live, you know, wherever. And I'm so glad I talked to one of my friends and she said, but you have money and you can give money and what they need is money. <laughs> you can, right. That's a big, yeah. when you boil salary. it really far yeah. down, that is the basic of it, right? The basis yeah. there. Yeah. So I was glad I didn't quit my job. Amen. And <laughs> that was a good, uh, that was a good advice or that was a good bit of advice. What I've seen on even like a smaller scale. And um, one of the girls that worked on my team was, or I should say women um, that worked on my team was really passionate about the environment. And she said, 
why are we giving plastic bottles of water to the trainees that we have? They're here for four to six weeks. Why don't we have a water cooler? And apparently we used to have one and then we went back to disposable water bottles, right? And she did, I loved it. We, we used it as an opportunity to coach her on how do you build a business case? This was several years ago and she was right out of undergrad. So she calculated the impact of the water and then what if we have the water? And she did a presentation to leadership and they're like, great, we're going back to reusable bottles. Here we are. So and she was so proud of that. And I'm sure she's gone on to do bigger and better things, right? But we gave her the environment, the ability to be able to do that there. On a bigger scale, I have a girlfriend that works at Meta um, and she started an entire, she does this outside of work, but um, she started an entire cohort called the Power Circle, but spelled power, power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she coaches women on how to accelerate and advance in their careers. Um, I have another, someone on my team now who's really passionate about sustainability. So he's leading that initiative for our business. How do we look at our packaging, the, the, the products that we use, where do we source the materials from, et cetera. So, and I'll give one more example. If you work in marketing, like in my case, I work to make sure if I'm making collateral or sales aids and things that we are featuring diverse people, right? And I give that coaching to the agencies. I try to also find agencies that are owned and by diverse people. So I work with a lot of women-owned agencies. So I can go on and on. You Any job and function you sit in, I promise you, you can find a way to, to make a change. We always like to ask our guests, what is one thing you think every woman should have in her giant tote bag? Yes, I think you should have a good dose of badassery and confidence. And I know that it can be hard to have that, but I want you to just take a step back. I have really worked on my self-talk and I'm like, you know what? I used to be very critical of myself. I still can be, but I stopped and took inventory, took stock of everything I accomplished. And I thought I have every right to be in this room. I have every right to have a seat at this table and I have every right to speak. My perspective matters. I'm not always right. I say this all the time to my team. I'm not saying my point is right. Let's just explore that. And I, some people would say, well, you're, is that arrogance? Is that so on and so forth? No, I reframe it to say, I'm robbing people of my perspective. That's the beauty of diversity. My company is going to be better off if I communicated. And so as well as if my teammates are communicating, right? So it's having that confidence to, to show up and to speak up for yourself and advocate for the ideas that you have. Um, they're not right all the time, but you might have a, an idea of, you know, of gold in there and you're withholding it from people. So I would say show up in your full strength. I love that. Yeah. You have every right to bring your voice and to be sitting where you are. So live with that confidence. Yes. Thanks to Alyssa for sharing so openly and honestly about her experience as a millennial driven by the need to do good for the world and also being an example of a leader focused on well-being at work. She really is. I mean, she sets such a great example for how we make sure that mental health and thinking of individuals as a whole person can really strengthen a team. And, and it's just an important, it's a value. It's something we should be doing um, as we're leading others in the workplace. Normalizing it. Yes. Yes. And, and the more she, and she's such a believer in, in sharing her story, it normalizes mental health and the needs of, of employees. So one thing to try this episode, we are asking you to try taking one of the five elements of well-being. As a reminder, those are career well-being, social, financial, physical, or community. Take one of those five elements and do one thing to approve, improve upon it. Now, Mandy, what you got in your bag? So we're still, yes, it's March, but I don't know where, wherever you are, it's still pretty dry here in Kentucky. So this literally is in my tote bag is aquifer. I love it because you slather, slather this stuff on and it really heals any dry and chapped skin, but hopefully 
spring is on its way and I won't have to be doing that for very much longer, but check it out. It is the best stuff. Oh, I keep it. I keep it with me year round. It is one of those miracle (laughs) tubes that can just fix anything. For sure. A A dry skin, chapped lips, a kid falls. I mean, I feel like I use Aquaphor all the time. Yes. It totally reminds me of my big fat Greek wedding where her dad would spray Windex, Windex on everything. Yeah. It is my version of Windex. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it cures all. Definitely. Well, thanks for joining us today. Be a part of the conversation and connect with us on Instagram at Soar Lead. Also show some appreciation for this podcast. This is really how we grow. So please make sure to follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep these conversations going. And don't forget to share this episode with your own work BFF. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next time for another Women Who Work conversation. Conversation.